Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Enjoy a tall, cool dude. I grew up like most kids, worried I couldn't bench two plates, that I wouldn't fit in, that I wouldn't find love. Then I discovered partying, and suddenly all those worries went to the wayside. I didn't need love. I had keg stands. I discovered I was great at raging, and it revealed wonderful things about myself. I could relate to bros, regardless of what kind of bro they were. I could be at a party and moon people, and everyone would laugh, you know, be witty. Or, I could play beer pong and compete with real integrity. In short, I fulfilled my potential. The Nightcap on WGR, Sports Radio 550. I'm going to attempt to keep it together early on here. You know, as a radio host, the worst thing, especially when you're here alone, when you're hosting solo, the worst thing that could possibly happen at at all is water going down the wrong pipe right before you go on air. So that just happened to me. So I'm going to attempt to uh, keep it together here. What's up, everybody? It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi. Here on WGR, there's there's round one. Here we go. That was that was a hiccup. That was a hiccup. That wasn't even like, I don't know. Who knows what's about to happen? It's going to be an interesting two hours here. I'm bringing you all the way up until Sabres pregame. Sabres After Dark is back. We got the Sabres and the Ducks tonight. 10 p.m. puck drop. Brian Cozy will be along in a couple of hours, just under a couple of hours. He'll take over at 9 o'clock. Tomorrow, by the way, with the game being at 10.30, I'll be on until... With the game starting at 10.30 against the Kings tomorrow, I'll be on until 9.30, taking you up until pregame then. So, I something just ran across my Twitter timeline. that I Something that I talked about on this show over the summer. Something I wrote about on our website, WGR550.com, over the summer. Taylor Hall. There is more reason to believe... That the Devils would trade Taylor Hall this season. Elliot Friedman from Sportsnet goes on a show on Sportsnet and he's talking about hey, if the Devils, who have started, they might be the worst team in the league to start the season. Like they they are off to a brutal start to their year. I believe they actually have allowed them they've allowed the most goals in hockey with 29, second most. Winnipeg's allowed the most. Winnipeg's allowed 30 goals in eight games, although New Jersey's only played six. So they're allowing the most goals per game. A minus 16 goal differential in six games. A lot of that came, of course, when the Sabres ran them over in the home opener. So the Devils are off to a bad start. They just traded for P.K. Subban. They've got Jack Hughes. They're kind of in flux. They've got some veteran players. They've got some young players. They're probably going to have to figure out what they're going to want to do if this thing continues to slide. There's, here's Taylor Hall. Been on one playoff team in his life. And he wasn't in it for very long. The Devils make it one year. He was an MVP candidate. He had to be an MVP candidate for them to make it. And they get bounced in round one pretty handily. Other than that, that guy, I feel bad for that guy. 
He just he can't get he can't catch a break. He can't win, no matter where he goes. And it's not his fault. He's a great player. He's got one year left in his contract. I would bet he's not going to want to stay there. And I think the Devils might be thinking the same thing. And that's why you've got guys like Elliot Friedman right now talking about it. I think if this continues to go this way, I think he'll get traded. And I love him as an idea. The idea of him to me back in the offseason was, for the Sabres specifically, it was it felt like the Jeff Skinner trade 2.0. It's a big, big risk. I understand that because think about what I just said about Taylor Hall. What he might be looking for more than anything is just a contender. And it might take some convincing to get him to sign up for the team with the longest playoff drought in hockey at the moment. But the risk you'd be taking, the upside to that risk, would be more than any deal you could swing right now. Because it happened with it worked with Jeff Skinner, and they didn't, and they collapsed last year, and they still signed Jeff Skinner. I like the idea of this type of trade for the Sabers. They can do it. They are actually pretty strong, I would say, right now on the left side, left wing. But I think the Sabres should be in the business of just compiling as much talent as they can and then figuring out how it can fit afterwards. Because right now, they're pretty balanced. They don't really have much down the middle past Jack Eichel and Johansson right now. But they could use another star player like that. To really make this thing feel real. And if that guy's available, I, I at least want the Sabres to be a team that's thinking about a big move like that. Every time that one comes about. I want them to be in on it. Thinking about it. Friedman, by the way, really funny. He mentions that Edmonton would be looking to acquire, acquire him. Edmonton. The team who made maybe the worst trade I've ever seen. With this guy. They sent him away for a... Average second pair defenseman in Adam Larson. Fast forward to how long's it been actually? It's been longer than two years. How long's it been? It's been this is his fourth season with the Devils, so it's been four years. And they're like, okay, wait, we know we messed up. Peter Shirelli's gone. We need to get him back. <laughs> I mean, the guy is a per- perennial point of game player. 37 points in 33 games last year. He had a lot of injuries. Year before that with New Jersey, 93 points in 76 games. Wins the Hart Trophy. Now, is he a superstar player in the league? No. He's not going to win the Hart. He's not going to win MVP every year. He kind of reminds me, he's like the Matt Ryan of the NHL to me. He's capable of having a season like that where he's the best in the league. But if he has a 15, 20-year career, that's really only going to happen two or three times maybe. It tops. But the guy is a legit player. And we've had this conversation with the Bills a lot. They're good, so should we be looking to be a buyer? And in hockey, even more so than football, the buyer-seller conversation ultimately does result in something. Like Almost every team makes a determination of what they are at the trade deadline. Football, most of the time, most teams are just going to go along and not do anything. They're just going to go with what they got. Most football teams will not make a trade in the midst of a season. Like when you get a team like it's, it's happening a little bit more. Like you get the Rams yesterday making a deal for Jalen Ramsey. Like that's a buyer's move. So it does happen. But 
in the NHL, almost every team at some point during the season will make a move to be a buyer or will make a move to be a seller. And it's early. And I'm not sold yet that this thing is for real, the Sabres got going on right now. But I want them to act like it's for real. I want them to act as though they're going to be a good team this year because a good team looks at a player like that and says, do we need him? We might not. In fact, I don't think we do need Taylor Hall. Olafson and Skinner, your top six left wingers, I'm fine. I'd have to fit them in on the right side. Someone's got to play their offside. But a really good team, a smart good team says, I know we don't need him, but he's available. He could maybe get acquired for cheap on the buy low because he's got a contract expiring. And yes, it's risky because we don't know if we could sign him, but we're going to take that risk because if it works, if it all works out, you might get a point-of-game player for pennies on the dollar. And it doesn't have to be Taylor Hall, but I'd love those types of ideas for the Sabres right now. The season has gotten going, and we kind of have put the trade ideas on the back burner. Like I'm thinking about Ristolainen a lot lately, and I, I don't know if New Jersey would be interested in him at all, but maybe I, I'd, I'd be hopeful that they would be because that's the guy you'd still like to move. But I, I'm wondering, are Sabre fans, like, are we okay with keeping Ristolainen? Because he's here. And he's playing, and he's back playing big minutes again. And even though I wouldn't say he's doing particularly, he's not doing enough to earn those big minutes still, he is playing better. He is absolutely playing better than in past seasons. So no, I don't think he should still be a top pair defenseman for them, but he's doing a better job at it. And maybe that's in part because of McCabe. Maybe that's in part because he's no longer playing in the top power play unit. He might be a little bit fresher. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's Kruger. It might very well be Kruger. Ristolainen is making comments today about how Kruger is the best coach he's ever had. Pro or amateur. Best coach he's ever had. And he's only been with him for six games. He's making a pretty quick determination on that. So, I don't need the Sabres to be making a trade like this. But the numbers still don't add up. When all these guys come back, it's going to happen. I'm still waiting to see what happens when Montour returns. How ice time changes. Who gets scratched. Because even a guy that I think I would have said I would like to see taken out of the lineup when Montour comes back in Marco Scandella, he's played good. He's played very good. He's maybe had one bad game in six. I thought he was pretty bad in the Columbus game. Other than that, I've been fine with Marco Scandella. I think he's certainly earned to be in the top six right now. Him and Yoki Haru as a pair, I wouldn't split that up. Definitely wouldn't split that up. So who does Montour go in for? Who does he go in for? A trade makes all of this more easier. or makes it a lot more easier. Winnipeg right now. Let's revisit some of these teams. And I'll get to Anaheim in a second because they're one of these teams and the Sabres play them tonight. The teams we've talked about in the offseason, the Sabres making a trade with, sending a defenseman out and getting something back. Who are they? Winnipeg is the team that we've all talked about more than anybody. I've talked about them more than anybody. Bulldog and Mike Shope on the afternoon show, Howard and Jeremy. Like Winnipeg's the team that gets mentioned the most. They've allowed, just mentioned it a couple minutes ago, Winnipeg's allowed the most goals in hockey. They've allowed 30 goals 
They have a guy in Neil Pionk who's okay. He's a guy they got as a throw-in basically to the Jacob Truba to the Rangers trade. Neil Pionk, who is not really a household name in hockey. He's an okay third, second, third pair guy. He's playing almost 24 minutes a night for them right now. Josh Morrissey. He's all right. He's a second pair guy. He's playing 25, 26 minutes a night. You've got guys on that team, even the NHL defensemen. You've got the NHL defensemen that they have on their roster, whoever's left, playing bigger roles than they should be playing. And then you've got AHL guys who shouldn't probably be in the league playing in your top six. That team should be reeking of desperation. And I give them a lot of credit in one way. Almost, It's almost stubbornness if they don't make a trade. But I give them a little credit for that. Not making a trade out of desperation. But their season might get away from them if they keep this up. They, they 30 goals in 8 games. That team could absolutely use a big minute eater like Rasmus Ristolainen. That could be Ehlers, that could be Roslovich, who's back playing under 13 minutes a night, and he's got four points in eight games, underutilization, all over that team. I would still like to see a trade made with Winnipeg. Tonight's opponent, the Ducks. Brendan Gooley, he hasn't played every game, but Brendan Gooley is approaching 20 minutes a night for them. Brendan Gooley. And he was good. He was a good, nice prospect, but... Come on, he's not ready for that, I would think. I've only seen a, re- a really small uh, little bit of their of their games this year. And a little of that was Gooley, but he looked the same to me. I don't know, maybe he is playing better, but I don't know. The Ducks are also trying to play the lock it down, the old school, the old New Jersey Devils style of hockey. The trap. We're going to just, we're going to beat you two to one. That's what they're doing so far. They're 4-2 and two in six games. They've played well. 4-2 and two in six games, a good record. They scored 13 goals in six games. They're barely cracking two goals a game. The Sabres, for comparison, have scored 25. The Sabres have scored double the goals that their opponent tonight has scored this season. The way they're trying to play, and the rumors about them wanting and needing a right-shot defenseman, what again lead you to a Ristolainen. And I think that he's played well, and I think the urgency to feel the need to trade him has kind of gone away. But one thing that now exists on this blue line that I would say didn't even exist when we had all these trade conversations in the offseason is now you have guys that would have sounded like good ideas to take out of the lineup if everybody's healthy and they're playing well. Yoki Haru, you are not putting him in Rochester. It's just not going to happen. In fact, Kruger and Botchero both said he's looking for a house now. Or did Yoki Haru say it too? He's here. Scandella, the way he's playing right now, I don't know. I don't think you take him out of the top six. I would not do that. Bristolainen and McCabe, they've done their jobs. Not taking them out. Who am I taking out? You're not taking Colin Miller out. That's for sure. And then who else am I missing on the left side here? I'm missing somebody. Darlene. I'm missing Darlene. And I, do I even need to say it? He's not coming out. Who comes out? Because here's the thing. You can't be healthy scratching Brandon Montour. That, that just can't happen. That can't happen. 
When he comes back in a couple weeks, no way. I think he's the best right shot defenseman on the team. And I know these other guys are playing well, but you got to find a way to get him in your lineup. So that's the numbers game. That's the guys playing well factor that did not exist when we had all these trade conversations in the offseason. And to me, with Ristolainen playing better, maybe now is really the time to, to really go for that trade. And I started the segment talking about Taylor Hall. It doesn't have to be Taylor Hall, obviously. I, I'd love that. I mean, if I'm the Sabres GM, there's a lot of probably good reasons that I'm not that. But if I was, I'd probably be calling New Jersey uh, right now. Probably right now. Ray Shiro's the GM. He doesn't answer. I'll leave him a message and I'll send him a text. I'm going to be bothering him until he gives me a solid answer. Because Taylor Hall is a player that, if available, would be a player that every team in the league should call about. It's a player that does not often come available. When's the last time a player like Taylor Hall became available for trade? It might have been Taylor Hall four years ago. I'm probably missing a guy or two, but it might have been Taylor Hall four years ago. He's great. And the Sabres are not good enough up front yet to where I think you can just make the argument for your depth on your blue line. Because that, that, that's being said right now. I think Bo- Jason Bottrell made a comment on Friday when he was visiting with uh, Bulldog and Paul Hamilton. On He was asked about the numbers on the blue line. And his answer was essentially how... They like their depth, and they injuries are going to happen, and that's going to let me let me play it here. I think I think this is the clip. Here's Jason Bottrell from Friday. We know as much as we like our start, we're going to face adversity over 82 games. We have to do a better job of, as an organization, when adversity hits, we play with a little bit more calmness and a little bit find a way to get through those difficult stretches. And so that's why we are bringing these you know veteran players in that can help out our group here. All right, that wasn't it, but you know what I'm saying. He 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 made he made a comment on Friday about how they like the depth they have on the blue line right now. Injuries are going to happen, and I didn't even mention Bogosian yet. So I'm not really buying that that that's a, a legitimate enough reason to not make a deal. It's a weird time to make a trade. You don't often see trades in the NHL, big ones especially, be made in the first couple weeks of the season. But this is a kind of a unique circumstance. It's not often that an NHL team has 10-11 NHL defensemen. And the Sabres have that right now. You've got six in the lineup. This Gilmore, by the way, Rob Ray was talking about him. We've had other guys. Paul's talked about him. This guy might be as an NHL defenseman, too. And I even mentioned him. He's with the team. He's not playing in Rochester. So that might be seven you've got on the lineup right now. You've got three on the shelf with injuries. In Pilot, Bogosian, and Montour. That's 10. And then I got Casey Nelson in Rochester. And I don't know, like, he's nowhere near cracking this lineup right now, but I like him. I like Casey Nelson as a third pair defenseman. He's a puck mover. And he's the 11th guy? How often does a team have 11 options like that? You don't need that many. Take some of that value you have on your blue line. In Ristolainen right now, with him playing well, flip that value to the forward group. And it doesn't have to be even down the middle. But let's get some more scoring in here. Because when the replacement 
If you took Ristolainen out of the lineup right now, this is with everybody healthy. Or even just with a couple injuries. Let's say Bogosian and Pilot aren't ready. Let's say when Matur comes back in two weeks. The replacement level player that comes in for Ristolainen. That's not near the drop-off, if a drop-off at all, compared to who's in the Sabres lineup right now at forward versus the type of forward you might be able to get for Risto. Kashe, by the way, who was going to be traded to Carolina for Justin Falk, a right-shot defenseman that Anaheim was trying to acquire that only didn't work out because a contract extension didn't work out between Falk and Anaheim. Andre Kashe, the guy who was going to Carolina for Falk, leads the Ducks in points. Point-of-game player right now, young, 23 years old, couple of really nice seasons under his belt. If that guy's available, well, we'll watch him tonight maybe. He's on their top line, I think, with Raquel and Getzlov. If that guy's available for a right-shot defenseman, which we have proof that he is because he was traded to Carolina and it just fell through because of an extension. If that guy's available, I want the Sabres to go get that guy. And any version like him, whether it be Kashe in Anaheim, Ehlers in Winnipeg, or a lot less likely, but maybe Taylor Hall in New Jersey. 803 is the phone number. Any thoughts on the Sabres making a trade? Is it a little too early, you think? Do you want to let this play out? Do you want to see how it looks? Because there is, there's a numbers problem coming for the Sabres. 803-0550 is the phone number. I'm taking you up till 9 o'clock where Sabres pregame will start with Brian Cozio right here on WGR. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. With a player like, you know, Henry Yoki Harju, what we really liked about seeing him last year you know, 19 years old last year, and he wins a World Junior gold medal and a World Championship gold medal. So, although he's very young, at 20 this year, he's already played a half season in the National Hockey League, played in pressure situations, and handled it very well. And I think, you know, you saw that in Pittsburgh. But I, what I really liked was his game, you know, on Wednesday against Montreal. Mm-hmm. You know, things get a little hectic there, 4-4. He's still skating extremely well. He's still making that those breakout passes, uh, and just allowed us to get out of our zone. And it's great to see our players playing their game in tight situations like that. Sabres GM Jason Botcherill on Friday, talking with Bulldog and Paul. I got through that whole first segment without really any uh, hiccups. No pun intended. Because I did hiccup once. There was one. That was about it, though. I got about an hour and a half left here before I get you to the Paul William Belts pregame show with Brian Koziel. Getting you ready for Sabres and Ducks. Sabres after dark. First time this season. It's a big, uh, it's a big day for me. I'm, lo- I'm a big fan of Sabres After Dark, as I am a, I'm a night owl. I was already kind of a night owl before I started working here, but then you know you get the, you're here till nine o'clock. Your, your body clock is different than if you just got a normal nine to five job. So, I'm up anyways, so it's right up my alley. 
So I am here for Sabres playing at 10 o'clock at night or 10.30 at night, and that starts tonight. 803-0550 is the phone number. Went through some trade ideas in the first segment. Andre Cache, a player that is going to play against the Sabres tonight that I hope fans take a hard look at because we have evidence. At least, I mean, if you want to go, if you want to call, I want to call credible reports about a trade that fell through between Carolina and Anaheim. Proof. But we have proof that Kashe was going to be traded for a good right shot defenseman that Anaheim was trying to acquire. And it didn't happen because Justin Falk and Anaheim couldn't make a contract extension work. Well, here's the thing. Ristolainen, you don't have to make a contract extension work. He's already got one. So if they want him and they want to make that deal, Kashe is available. At least available to enough where Anaheim would trade him for that type of player. So, he's the exact type of player I'd like to see the Sabres acquire. Just a good, young, scoring forward. And they already ha- they have a bunch of those now. They have more. Eichel, Reinhardt, Olofsson, Skinner, Johansson. They've got guys that are putting the puck in the back of the net. One more would be nice, though. Good teams keep getting them, keep acquiring them. They don't stop just because they're... They're satisfied with the status quo. 803-0550 is the phone number. Let's go to Mike. Mike, you're on the nightcap. What's up? Hey, Joel. Thanks for taking my call. Sure thing, man. I just wanted to touch on uh, on Ristol. Like, I, I'm I'm one that doesn't want to see him get traded, but if the Sabres are going to trade him, wouldn't it be more valuable returns later down the line, like playoff deadline? And, and also, too, I want to see him and Montour play together for a little while just to see what that looks like when he comes back in the lineup. I think then you have three good sets of D there, and they can keep going. They're playing good, so you know I'd like to see what your thoughts on that are. I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, thanks for the call, man. Um, I wonder about value and timing and season a lot, and I don't really think it matters too much. There might be a small difference, but what's going to change for Winnipeg between now and then? Maybe Dustin Bufflin comes back. And maybe that's why they haven't made a trade yet, because they're waiting to see what happens with Bufflin. Um, because if he does return, then they don't have this big a need there. But I, I don't know if I would bank on that. I, I'm reading top Bob McKenzie the other day from TSN on the fact that like Bufflin didn't skate or work out all summer. And we already know he's had issues being out of shape. When I see that read that Bufflin hasn't skated or worked out all summer, that's not good. Like I would, if I'm Winnipeg, I would not be counting on him anytime soon. They would obviously know more than I do, but it doesn't sound good for that. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know. I, I feel like Falk just got traded. Like th- these deals can happen. I don't think you have to wait for the trade deadline. Now, the way Ristolainen's playing, it's easier to stomach keeping him around that long. If that happens, I don't like Montour with him. They're both right shot D. Now, I would like to see a right shot D maybe switch over to the left. I don't know if this guy cracks the lineup because there's so many guys, but I loved Pilot with Ristolainen last year. I thought they fit really well together. The numbers back that up, by the way. Ristolainen's best numbers of his entire career with the Sabres have been with Pilot. It's a short, small sample size, but still. But here, that's the thing. I don't, I don't know how he cracks the lineup. If Pilot and Ristolainen's a pair, which a pair that I like, all right, well, four spots left. Dahlin. One, Montour, two, Miller, three, Yoki Haru, four. Oh, wait, I forgot about McCabe and Scandella. 
and Bogosian. I didn't really forget about Gilmore, but you know what I mean. It's a lot of guys. It's a lot of guys. I'd like to see them make the trade right now. That's just me. I'd like to see them make the trade right now. Yoki Haru coming on, by the way, has been perfect for that. He has been the highlight of the Sabres' revamp on their blue line, making it a modern-day puck-moving blue line, or at least trying to. He is really good, and I think is going to be really good for a really long time. That trade, Alex Nylander, by the way, I think did score again. Um, I'm going to double-check that real quick. He had one goal in one game the last I checked. He's got two goals in three games. All right. Averaging 11 minutes of ice time a night. That trade, I I could not love a trade more than that one right now. It amazes me that for maybe the most struggling former first-round pick in the league currently, that's a prospect still, in Alex Nylander, they got another guy who was a first-round pick who is just like he's he's perfect second-pair defenseman for the next five, ten years. Like, how does Chicago let him get away? What are they? What were you trying to accomplish if you're the Blackhawks? Had you watched Alex Nylander? Because the thing about Yoki Haru is, like, this isn't new. Like, he played some games for Chicago last year, and he was doing the same thing. I didn't watch all of them, but I watched pieces of, like, two, three games from the, Chicago last year that Yoki Haru played in. He was good. He was doing the same stuff. He was just smooth in his own end. He was making crisp, clean breakout passes, and he was he was chipping in on the offensive end, jumping up in the rush when he needed to. Good sense for that. I saw him doing that, and then he put up numbers in the AHL. So like, what 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 was the problem that the Blackhawks had with him? I don't know what it was, but they maybe they saw something in in Nylander that I just never saw. I, I I've never seen anything in Nylander to think that he's going to be some 20 30 goal scorer in the NHL. Um I, I don't know. I, I think that's going to be one of the better trades that we ever see for uh for Botrell at this point. Like if it depends. It depends how long Jason Botrell goes, but he's got a couple of nice trades in his cap right now. The Skinner trade is great. I think the Yoki Haru trade is great. Yoki Haru, by the way, he played 38 games for Chicago last year. He had 12 points. He had 12 assists. As a rookie, 19-year-old. That's that's pretty good. Not everybody's Darlene. Not everybody, and as a teenager on the blue line, can go out and score 40 points. And this guy was on almost a 30-point pace. As a 19-year-old. So, I'm super ecstatic about him. And I think his development has kind of made me think more about the trade happening because you can't take him out of the lineup. And that's one more guy that maybe you thought would be here eventually but didn't think he'd be here right away. He's here. He's here right away, and he's staying. So maybe that could give them a little more pressure to, uh, or a little more reason to make a trade for one of these veteran guys. Get him out of here. 803-0550 is the phone number. I want to switch to football in the second hour. We'll get to that, but first I want your calls at 803-0550. So you're hanging on hold. Stay there. We'll get you right after the break here on WG. Well, I was doing everything I can. You know, we were talking every day. We talked last night afterwards. You know, I was trying, you know, busting my butt to, to, to you know, get him healthy and get him out there. And, um, you know, that's a great question, you know, for him. I think he's the only one that's going to be able to answer that. Jaguars coach Doug Marone on the Jalen Ramsey 
trade. Man, he was kind of fed to the wolves today. That press conference was interesting. I'm not going to feel bad for Doug Marone or anything, but Tom Coughlin should have been the one out there ans answering the questions, and he left Marone to do it. Um, Ramsey gets traded for two first-round picks to the Rams, and uh, the Jags are just kind of hanging around now at 2-4, and four, not really worried about them. And uh, there's a certain NFL reporter that did playoff odds that I have to guess are not really based on math at all and more just your gut feeling about a percentage, which you know happens. Sports media, it's interesting to listen to. Um, just some crazy prediction on the Bills that we'll get to uh, in a little bit. 803-0550 is the phone number. Uh, we are going to do a quick wrap here on the uh, our Sabres conversation. They play the uh, Ducks tonight. Of course, Brian Cozy will have plenty more for you when pregame starts at 9 o'clock uh, between the Sabres and the Ducks. 6-0-1 would be pretty cool. 6-0-1 would be pretty cool. They are second place in the NHL right now in points. They've played one less game than Carolina. And a five-point gap between them and a playoff spot right now. You know, you want to throw as many points in the bank as you can early on. We we didn't talk about it as much this year, but what was kind of the narrative going into last season? The team wanted to get out to a fast start because years before that, they'd put themselves so far behind the eight ball, they could never catch up. This year... It was never about that because they did get off to a fast start last year and it didn't matter. So, yeah, what are you supposed to do? This year, it's just like, we're just gonna, let's go with the flow, whatever happens. And here they go, fast start. Faster start even than last year. That 10-game win streak came in November. Then they, they lost their first couple games, maybe. They lost one of their first couple games. So, they will get shut out by Boston in the first game uh, last season. So, things are going well. They have a point in at least every game. They've won four or five. It's hard to not be... They've won. I'm sorry. They've won five of six. They've won five of six. Um, it's hard to not be enthused. But it's also hard to not forget last year. I'm going to be hesitant until probably January. I, I, I don't think you can fully buy in on this team. Unless, I mean, they're the, like something crazier even than last year. Like, if they have this start and then go on a 10-game win streak and they're 25 points up on a playoff spot or something just absolutely absurd, then, yeah, like, I'll be in on that. But it's not really realistic. So there's nothing realistic I think they could do to make me buy in on this being a playoff team until we get to January 1st. I need to see a couple of months, at least. A couple of months of this team being different, of Ralph Kruger doing a better job of utilizing his players than Phil Housley did. The style holding intact, the fast-paced pressure style that they're playing, that holding intact, um, and the goaltending holding up. Because last year it didn't. One thing that went away for the Sabres after the 10-game win streak last year was goaltending. Hutton and Allmark were back to being average to below average after November. And I think this year, they both actually have an identical 931 save percentage, which is a well above average save percentage. And if they can keep that up or even something close to it, like somewhere in the 920s, then that could offset a lot of the regression that might come with the rest of it. But we'll see. 
it's an exciting time to be a Buffalo sports fan. The Sabres are playing into that for sure uh, with their start, and hopefully they can keep it going tonight. Like I said, pregame will be in about an hour. We'll talk some football, though, in the next hour with, uh, with the Bills having the Dolphins coming to town. A lot of the conversation on the station today has been about the Dolphins themselves and their tanking. I talked a lot about that last night, so I do want to talk a little bit more about the game, but I'll mention, or I'll, I'll get into it a little bit, on just the Dolphins' whole game plan here, long-term strategy. And how today affects that, because with Fitzpatrick starting, that's a, that's a weird, it's a weird one. I, I don't I don't really understand why they did it, but it does affect stuff with them trying to get the first overall pick. We'll talk about that when we come back. We'll switch to Bills Dolphins after this. It's another cap with Jody Biasi. Eight hundred three hundred five fifty for your thoughts on WGR. Helping you unwind after a long day of work. I think. He's kind of a boob. You can't really take him a day south as a person. You can't go out there and be a moron. It doesn't work like that. The Nightcap. We're eating their food. On WGR Sports Radio 550. There's Lena Solmark, the famous quote. It's not really famous, but it's one I love. Reaping the fruit. I don't even remember what the context was, but I remember being funny. Sabres are playing tonight. I'm not sure if Allmark is starting. I haven't seen that. There was no morning skate. Um, but maybe we'll find out, I'm sure some point during pregame when uh, Brian Cozy was along in the next hour. Um, football, Bills, 16.5-point spread. The Dolphins coming up. Plenty on Miami, plenty on this game, plenty on Fitzpatrick, Ryan Fitzpatrick, starting against the Bills for, by the way, I th- it's the fifth time in his career, four times with the Jets, and one time with the Houston Texans. That's right. Ryan Fitzpatrick played for the Houston Texans. You might forget that. Um, I got the games in front of me. I want to go over those two a little bit, in a little bit as well. First, though, our interview of the day. Kyle Brandt, who's been all about the Bills. Um, actually, before I even get to Kyle Brandt, he's been big on the Bills all season. Maybe even earlier than I would prefer. Like He was on the Bills winning 10 games like right at the outset of the season. And I thought that was a little much. But he's probably going to be right. Cynthia Freeland from NFL.com tweets out, or NFL.com tweets out, her playoff odds projections. She does a playoff odds percentage for each team in the league. She has the Bills at 40%. 40. 538.com, which I believe is owned by USA Today, has all these different, uh, all this different data that they use. All like they use strength of schedule. They use your strength of schedule so far and how you've performed against that. All of they use math. They use knowledge, data to figure out what their playoff odds are. And they have the Bills. They had the Bills at seventy eight percent. I think maybe it went down two percent to seventy six over the weekend. So seventy six percent to make the playoffs. Cynthia Freeland has them at 40%. Why would that be? To me, one of two things. One, you're just saying, oh, they're the Bills, and typical Bills are going to end up blowing it. Honestly, that's the better of the two arguments. Like, hey, they've done this before. They've had hot starts, and they've missed. That's actually the better of the two arguments because – I think the other reason that she could have had them that low at 40% is because she just doesn't know what their schedule is, which is the, it's just a simple Google search, by the way, to look at what their schedule is. There is no way in hell 
you can look at the Bills' schedule and tell me they only have a 40% chance to make the playoffs. Even if you want to predict they, that they might miss, 40%? Come on. There's two Miami games left. They play Washington. They play Denver. They play Pittsburgh. Their hard games are Dallas and Philly and Cleveland. Come on. 40% is just ridiculous. And it's either, to me, a lazy take or an ignorant take. She's either just going on, hey, this is what they've been, and they've blown it before, or I think she's going on just, hey, I don't know what their schedule is. Because if you look at their schedule, even if you don't love the team, if you don't love the Bills, like even I have questions. I have questions how good the Bills are, for sure. But I've said repeatedly, this team's going to make the playoffs. It's more their schedule in the conference than it is, it's even them. Like I respect what they're doing right now. I think their defense is legit. I think their offense has work to do, but their offense is good enough. So I have questions myself and how good they are. But that's not even what it's about for me. It's about the circumstances. It's about how good the rest of the conference is and also how good the, how easy that schedule is. Second easiest in the league. So Actually, the easiest in the league if you look at win-loss record, if you look at 538's projections like I just mentioned, they have Pittsburgh with the easiest schedule in the league, but they have Buffalo as a close second. So it's not that big a difference anyway. Another NFL.com or NFL Network guy, Kyle Brandt, who's been big on the Bills. Here he is with Mervyn Tasker as our interview of the day as we transition here into football. John Murphy, Steve Tasker in our studio here in Orchard Park. Joined on the line by our 1 o'clock on Tuesday date. We're with uh, our guy Kyle Brandt from the NFL Network, the co-host of Good Morning Football. Good afternoon, Kyle Brandt. Good to be with you here today. Good afternoon, Murph and Steve, and I have to start with an apology to all of your listeners. You might not believe that, but I do. Last week, I have to say, since I've been meeting with you guys every week, listeners very supportive, very encouraging, very friendly, and yet last week I came on and told you that looking at the Bills' schedule, this could be a 10-win team. I thought I was being positive and constructive and paying a compliment. I was attacked after the appearance for an insult of a 10-win team. That a 10-win team is the basement. And, in fact, I slighted the entire Bills fan base by saying a 10-win team. And you know what, guys? I think that they're right. I think 10 is the basement. I should have said 12. Do I hear 13? But I will apologize to start the conversation. Well, let me point this out to you, Kyle. Preseason, before they kicked off, I said they were going to win 10 games. My partner over here, Steve Tasker, says 11-plus. First of all, that is an invalid response when you ask somebody to pick how many wins, right? You can't say 11-plus. Is a number with a a plus sign on it not valid? valid? No. Well, would you ever do a minus sign, Steve? Right. Really We're going to win nine or less. Just pick a number. Yeah. Well, I'd, the 11 plus would be like maybe a playoff game win or maybe even a home playoff no, game kind of no, thing, no, right? No, no, no. So if they plus. go 15 and 1, technically you're right because 15 is 11 plus, right? <laughs> yeah. I claim everything above 11. That's why it's invalid. <laughs> so here are the Bills coming off the bye, Kyle, with their 4 and 1 record, feeling pretty good, and especially good about what they see around them in the AFC. So your thoughts about. Maybe more than ten wins. It looked like uh, you might. We all might be onto something here with the way this season is playing out. Not just in Buffalo, but around the AFC, huh? Maybe. And it's kind of nice right now because there's a lot of hand wringing, a lot of debating about who are the great teams in the AFC after New England. And I feel like it's kind of cool that the Bills took a bye now because, at least on our show in the morning, we haven't talked about them in a week, and we're trying to figure out 
Do the Texans have it to take out the Patriots? Are the Chiefs good? All right, can we trust the Ravens? And there's very little conversation about Buffalo. I found it interesting. I looked this up. Let me ask Steve, Mr. 11 plus. The last <laughs> time I think that the Bills went four and one and then had a bye was the 1990 season. You guys went four and one and then went into the bye. Do you remember that at all? And when you have that bye after starting four and one, do you start to think we rule the world or we got to stay hungry? Like I'm trying to get into the mindset of this Bills team because they're sitting pretty. Right. It's well, it's so old school. You go back to 1990, and I don't remember that, but I know this. Back then, the question was always, "Wow, is this a good time for the bye week? Is this is it too right. early? Is it too late?" And the the question is always now. It's a Everybody knows the answer. It's always a good time for the bye week because somebody needs to get healthy. Somebody needs a rest. But for the Bills, we've been talking about this all week, Kyle. It's been 11 weeks since the start of the training camp to this point, and now they've got 11 weeks left uh, to close out the season, the regular season, and it seems like it's the perfect time. Uh, they've had a little rash of injuries. Uh, but I, I don't remember being 4-1 and one and, mm -hmm. and you know getting a bye week that early in, in my career. 1990 is the first Super Bowl year for the team. Uh, but it, it's interesting, the, the correlation, because this, this is really a schedule that's like, wow, it's hard I to know. picture the Bills being an underdog, an underdog in any of the games. Well, you think about it now, it feels like they're still on a bye. They got the Dolphins. I mean, <laughs> the, Dolphins, the Dolphins' plan is very clear. The Dolphins are not in it to win games. It, just, it's, it feels that way. And I would say to Bills fans, enjoy the Dolphins now. Because I do think they're going to be yeah. good in a couple of years. That's Say true. what you want about tanking. It works. Yeah. You collect a whole bunch of draft picks. It typically works. I think the Dolphins will be good. But, God, they are terrible now. They just lost to that Redskins team. So, think about this now. Four and one. I think they'll beat Miami. They're going to the playoffs. Guys, unless sort of some sort of terrible meltdown or a bad rash of injuries, the Bills are going to be in the playoffs. Who's the team they're going to get? Is that playoff team going to be at home? I think what's really interesting and a little scary right now in the AFC specifically, is not just that Deshaun Watson's playing well. It's not that right. the Texans seem to be good. Deshaun Watson has not been sacked in two straight games. Now, remember, the only problem with him was he gets hit too much, he holds onto the ball. And if you go back a little further, as you guys know, thinking about the Dolphins, the, Buff the, the Houston Texans made this trade for the tackle, Laramie Tunsil. And everybody said they were crazy, and Twitter said they were idiots, and they paid too much. Well, the offensive line right now is playing lights out, and Deshaun Watson just outplayed Mahomes in his stadium. So if you ask me about the AFC, who's dangerous right now, it is a clean jersey Deshaun Watson who looks really, really good. And that's a team Buffalo could run into at the end of the year. We're on the line with Kyle Brandt, NFL Network uh, co-host of Good Morning Football. One more Bill's uh, issue we want to yeah. deal with you here, Kyle, and that's it's our Twitter poll today. We're two weeks away today yeah. from the NFL trade deadline. And there are segments, and actually a lot of Bills fans think they should make a move before the deadline. Should the Bills make a trade to improve offensively? On the Twitter poll right now, 800 votes in over the last hour or so. Uh, half of our respondents say yes, add a wide receiver. 27% say yes, add an offensive lineman. 24% say no, stay the course. Steve and I are on the stay the course uh, course, at least for a couple of weeks until we get to the trade deadline. What do you think about that question? Well, it, it's always eager to say, we got to do something. We got to get the shiny object. We got to get the cool weapon. Um, the defense looks great, obviously. And look, I, it doesn't surprise me that your listeners say we need some firepower. Um, there is one name out there that I think is interesting, and it's the running back for the Chargers, Melvin Gordon. Now, I know that Devin Singletary looks good and Frank Gore is venerable, 
But Melvin Gordon, with his, his his whole experience of holding out and not really having a home with the Chargers, if he were to be available to come in and be this game breaker, this workhorse, I feel like that could really help the Bills' offense. Contractually down the road, it gets dicey. I don't know if you could have him for the rest of the year and they get rid of him. But as I was, as you were asking me the question, rule out Jalen Ramsey. The Bills don't need him, and I don't think the Jags are trading him. But if some of the sexier names. It'd be pretty cool to get in a, a, a fresh new running back to go with that offense. Melvin Gordon, I wouldn't mind. Hey, that's an interesting take because a lot of people are, are wrapped up in this wide receiver thing because sure. this is a team last year in the last half of the season in a year that they struggled offensively. The long ball was the only tool in the toolbox they had, and it was a lot of fun to watch. And now that seems to have disappeared. You got Josh Allen going from 53% completion rate last year over 70% this last week uh, against Tennessee. It's a different offense, and I, I don't know that there's a need to transform it at all given the fact that they're trying to play complementary football with a defense that's dominating. Yeah, I don't know. I think the risk, Steve, is you start transforming it and adding new weapons, and then let's say you do go get make a trade for somebody, and you tell Josh Allen we got to make this work, and he starts forcing it to him. The last thing that, that Josh Allen needs is to start forcing more passes. The right. defense is so good. You just want to keep doing what you're doing. And typically you might say, well, don't rest on your laurels. Let's get better. The laurels are pretty good right now. I still think that they're the <laughs> second best team in the AFC at four and one. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't do anything rash. Typically at this point in the Bills season, we're like, oh, man, we got to get a pulse of life here or something. It's really good right now. You know, we're having Coach McDermott is coming on Good Morning Football tomorrow. So maybe I will have to ask him personally. And if any of your listeners have any other questions they want to ask, I'm happy to take them. Yeah, what, what do you think they need to do offensively? What's Josh Allen need to do to play better? I mean, he had a 70% completion percentage last week. Seems to be gaining, uh, you know, he did, threw one interception of a completely different nature than the old-time yeah. stupid over-the-top throw. This one was a throw we tried to fit in. Seemed to take a real step forward next week. But uh, as we've seen, he may take a step backwards as well this coming week. You know, I'm looking at the action all around the league this past weekend, and it's just there's the quarterbacks who mess up and the ones who play clean. You know, Jameis Winston threw five interceptions in a game. That's Jameis Winston's game. I think if he plays another year or 20 more years, I think that's the kind of quarterback he is. Aaron Rodgers, as good as he is, he just doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make the big mistakes. Josh Allen is still figuring that out. I don't know if he's one of these messy quarterbacks. I mean, look what Baker Mayfield's doing right now. He's leading the league in interceptions. It's not even close. This was a guy in college we thought had the total control of accuracy. I think he's got 11 picks this year, and the Browns are falling apart. So that's the thing with Josh Allen. I love – we talk about this every week, guys. I love the leadership. I love the athleticism. He just makes that one head-shaking pick a game, and sometimes it's two or three. So he's at this point where I feel like he's in his adolescence as a quarterback, second year, bunch of starts under his belt. Are you going to be the mess-up guy, or are you going to be able to play clean? And I think he's got to figure that out the next couple of months. That's really it. I, I don't mind the weapons. I like what they did. I like Brown. I like Beasley. I like the line. I just wish there could be a couple more clean games, because when you get against New England, we saw it. You make a couple of mistakes, the thing's over. With Kyle Brand of the NFL Network, let's move you around the uh, league a little bit, Kyle. And you were talking about sure. AFC contenders a moment ago, and I don't think you mentioned Kansas City. They've lost a couple in a row at home, but they're still to be heard from this year, right? You're not writing them off at all, I wouldn't think. No, they're still going to play a role in this thing. It's just strange. You know, you lose two at home, and... Listen, it, it's not talking. It's getting talked about much because Mahomes is not hyping it. Mahomes is not right. His ankle is not right. He doesn't run around very well. Some of his best plays are improvisational. That's not there. But, guys, let's not pretend this is nothing. I, I said for weeks 
once Tyreek Hill gets back, it'll be all better. He changes the whole offense. Tyreek Hill was back, and he was great. And they still lost at home to a Houston team that probably shouldn't be beating them in Arrowhead. So it's almost this feeling with Mahomes now, kind of a lot like there is with Sean McVay and his Rams in the NFC, which is, guys, there's blood in the water. They've been taking over the league for a year and a half now. All of a sudden, they're playing a lot of man defense on them that they're not beating. The Chiefs don't run the ball well. So we love Pat Mahomes, and we can play his highlights all day. They're not scoring 30 to 40 points every single week. The defense isn't great. So it's like I think they will be there in the end because they're that talented. But this is now a factor of, and again, I'll bring it back to Buffalo. That could be one of those teams that they run into in the playoffs, the Chiefs, and you don't want to go to Arrowhead. If you the, if the, the Chiefs finish up 10-6 and six and they have to come to Buffalo, it's a lot better matchup. Yeah, one thing I asked you as well in that game at Kansas City when Houston went into Kansas City and beat them, when are we going to be, and maybe you're not, but when are the rest of us going to be, you know, not be surprised by Deshaun Watson? I mean, the guy, all of a sudden, he's in the MVP conversation, and he looks great. He's fantastic. You know what I think it is, Steve, is it's not even so much Deshaun Watson. We, we've all bought into him since Clemson. There's just something about Houston. There, there's... There's a handful of teams over the last decade that are really hard to trust because they give you the fullest gold and they look great and they rattle off a bunch of wins and then they let you down. The second, you know, if you're me, you go on TV and said they can't lose and then they lose by three touchdowns. You know, this Deshaun Watson team, they lost to a Kyle Allen of the Panthers, a guy who had had zero experience and came in and beat them. So I think I love Deshaun as an athlete and as a quarterback, but, you know, at the same time, it, Back in the playoffs last year, he looked terrible in that playoff loss. Big stage, Deshaun Watson, who goes up and down the field against Alabama and made the country fall in love with him, looked terrible. So this has been some great, great football from him and some clean football. But he's one of the teams that I can't trust yet. They've let me down too many times. You guys know you go on the radio and throw in with people. There's nothing worse than you say this team's going to be great and then the guy throws four interceptions <laughs> and loses. I've had that happen. I've gotten Houston before. Houston, we do have a problem, and it's often me vouching for you. <laughs> hey, I want to ask you about another AFC team, and, and I've been thinking yeah. a little bit this week about Greg Roman down there in, in Baltimore and what he has done with uh, with Jackson, his quarterback. 152 yards on the ground in a year in which they were supposed to, I think many people thought, turn him into a passer, and yet Greg Roman's smart enough, and he spent a little time here, smart enough to know that that's a weapon that he can use as a runner, too. I think that's a pretty interesting development down there in Baltimore. Well, it's awesome to watch. I mean, it's what he's doing. It feels like the sport is changing right in front of us. Like we've never we've never seen numbers like this, not consistently. And yet, I don't know, guys. Listen, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or it's because I'm a father of two. It just makes me very nervous. You know, I'm teaching yep. my kid to ride his bike right now. We took the training <laughs> wheels off. He falls all the time, and he tries to get up and be tough. But every time he falls, I hold my breath. And every time Lamar Jackson runs across the middle, I hold my breath because we always get our breath taken away by these running quarterbacks and these great athletes. And then next thing you know, the trainers are coming out, and they're out for two to three weeks. When I look at Lamar Jackson, I say, okay, how's Cam Newton playing this year? His foot's injured. Do you remember – Michael Vick breaking his leg in the preseason of the preseason game against Baltimore. Um, I love that he runs. He should run. It would be a crime to have Lamar Jackson not run. I just hope they got a plan because having him run it 200 times and get to the playoffs, it feels like it's not a, a question of, of if, but a matter of when he's going to go down. And I hope they have a different plan for it because we've seen it too many times. These running quarterbacks get hurt. Yeah, and how long can that last? I mean, Cam Newton, now you say he's been in and out of the lineup with injury. Last year he yeah. was ineffective because of an injury. Uh, sooner or later, a quarterback, a, a you know, long-term quarterback is going to be 
six years, and he's going to be mm-hmm. done if they start running these guys like that. And then you've got – look at the other side of the coin. you got guys like Phillip Rivers and Eli Manning, those guys that never run, and they can play for almost two decades. Tom Brady as well. Um, how do you – you know, where's the balance there that the league is going to strike? I don't know. It's tricky, Steve, because he Lamar's an incredible passer. He looks really good. And so what can you can can you really sit there as an offensive coach or as a Ravens fan in the stands and be like, no, 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 Lamar, don't run. It's too dangerous. Because he's about to rip off a 38-yard run on third and 12. So <laughs> of course he's got to do it. And I remember when we had this debate with Michael Vick, he's got to stay in the pocket. He shouldn't run. He shouldn't run. I remember John Mann was on Monday Night Football and said, What do you mean he shouldn't run? He's Michael Vick. Of course he should run. But we saw how it ended. So if Lamar is going to be the guy for the next three or four years, sure, run the wheels off. But if we're going to be talking nine, ten years from now in the AFC North that Lamar Jackson is still the quarterback, I mean, I, guys, I think Cam Newton is done in Carolina. And I mean that. It sounds it sounds profound. He, he couldn't win. He keeps getting hurt. Now he's got a foot injury. And sure enough, you get what every team wants, an unknown, cheap, cheap quarterback who comes in and can't miss. That happens. If Cam Newton was a pocket guy who didn't run as much, I don't think he would be hurt. I don't think we even know who Kyle Allen is. So it's the right. long-term danger that you worry about. Hey, Kyle, the uh, Tennessee Titans have a quarterback decision to make. may come as soon as today or tomorrow. And I don't know what the right answer is for Mike Vrabel down there. We have firsthand knowledge of what uh, the issues Marcus Mariota has, but I don't know what they should do down there in Tennessee. Do you? No. But there's <laughs> – I mean, listen – you remember the last election, okay? <laughs> and there were two candidates, and there's a lot of people who didn't like either candidate. They didn't like the man or they didn't like the woman. And they would develop the slogan that just said, just give me the asteroid. Let the asteroid hit the planet Earth. I don't want to vote for either of these people. It's the nuclear option when you say, listen, we just benched our franchise quarterback for Ryan Tannehill, who, God love him, is, is, is not the next Patrick Mahomes. If I'm a Tennessee Titans fan right now and Mike Vrabel is saying Tannehill or Mariota, I, I'm just going to say start the asteroid. <laughs> I like right. that. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. One last thing before we uh, before the asteroid hits. Uh, yes. <laughs> maybe we should maybe we should also uh, uh, do that with the officiating controversies around the NFL. Oh I mean, gosh. it's been – and I said this earlier in the show, Kyle, is there some sort of season during the football, a subseason where every year we have to have a conversation about – how are we going to fix the officiating? What's going to happen? Let's yeah. get a sky judge. Let's see that. What, what's going to happen? It's funny. I, I always refer to it as referee radio. Right. It's just you start talking officiating, and it's yeah. tedious as hell, and you don't love it, and yet people get really emotional about it. And the second you guys would throw out to your callers, call with your officiating takes, the phone lines are let up. They love it. Um, there seems to be something different, right? Our whole lives we've watched football. There's always a complaint about the referees the day after the game. It happens. It seems to be going different now. And, and I mean that it, there seems to be more. It seems to be getting bigger. And I don't think just because everyone's got a Twitter account or something. I was watching this Jets-Cowboys game this last oh. week. There was one point where six straight plays were flagged. Six straight. So much so that the usually erudite and, and proper Jim Nance said, can we get one play without a penalty call, please? <laughs> and he says this on CBS, and he was right. So, listen, I think what they're doing is they're over-officiating the hell out of it, and they don't want to be the crew or the guy who didn't make the call because there's this idea that, well, we can review things now. Maybe there's a safety net. And yet I'm watching the Detroit Lions get called for two non-penalties from the same player and the same violation. You can't review that stuff. So here's the question that I would pose. 
Bill Belichick has said for years, just screw it. Make every single thing reviewable. Holding, offsides, hands to the face. Everything is challengeable. Everything is reviewable. To me as a fan, that sounds tedious as hell. But this morning, if I'm a Lions fan and illegal hands to the face is reviewable, we beat the Packers last night. So maybe Belichick is smarter than the rest of us like we thought. There is Kyle Brandt from Good Morning Football on with One Bills Live. I'm going to go full speed ahead into the Bills-Dolphins matchup when we come back. Actually, more so even just the Dolphins in general. Just what they are at this point in time, what their plan is long term, and how they stack up in the AFC. Now, it doesn't really affect the Bills too much on the short term. This is maybe the worst team I've ever seen the Bills Get ready to, f- to play. I, like, I don't even know how I'm going to talk about this game. I'm doing pregame with Nate Geary on Sunday. Like, how am I even going to talk about the game itself? It's just it's so predictable what's going to happen, isn't it? We'll get into that after the break. 803 is the phone number. It's the nightcap with Jody Biasi. Half hour or so away from Sabres pregame here on WGO. You say, especially in the tight end position, but kind of touched on it before. I'll just say that the, the game didn't look like it was too big for either of them. Coach Boris does an exceptional job getting us ready on game day to make sure there's no gray area, make sure everyone's seeing, seeing things the same way so that we're all on the same page. That is Tyler Croft, Bill's tight end that we've yet to see in the field. Will he play this week? Probably not, I think. What was he on the Bills injury report today? They're doing pretty well at that position, I think, without him. I'm not really expecting him to change the offense all that much. He was a decent signing, but I was never a big fan of his game. Thought he was okay. He was okay. He was a backup in Cincinnati. And there was a reason he was a backup in Cincinnati. There was a reason he was one the one of their three tight ends that were all free agents that they let go. So I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just saying I think what Dawson Knox has given them is what I would have hoped Croft would have given me. So I'm okay with the Bills right now at tight end. Uh, One part of their offense that's coming back this week that I'm really excited about is Devin Singletary. He was maybe the player on offense I was most excited for coming into the season. And really, John Brown should have been the answer to that because he's been fabulous. But And Gore's played well. But Singletary... Gives them something dynamic out of the backfield that they don't otherwise have. Like even Yeldon is like a pass catching running back, but I wouldn't call him dynamic. He's not taking any ball to the house. He's not making three, four guys miss. He's gonna catch it, but then he's just gonna head downhill, and he's like he's almost like a north south. He's a north south receiver if that's if that's possible. So Singletary is something they don't have in their offense right now. I think I'm interested to see. He's going to play this week. It sounds like. How much does he play against Miami? How much does he need to play? I would just give him a few carries, work him back in a little bit. I think this could be a big Frank Gore game. Like, if I'm a fantasy owner in this Bills-Dolphins game, Gore is the guy I'm looking for. He could get... Could he Could he get 30 carries in this game? It's possible. They should be ahead all day. This is the game that you want them to dominate. This is the game that you want them to really make a statement and say, hey, we're capable of putting this game up, even if it is arguably the worst team in NFL history. Um, like, let's see you have that performance. And I would like to see that from the Bills this week. It's a 16.5-point line. Can you be ahead 
three scores, two, two, three scores all day. They should do that. That should be the expectation for this week. And I know, you know, it's player speak, it's coach speak. McDermott today, given the Dolphins' his credit, like they've been playing better. They've not been playing better. They're averaging, they, 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 if they're playing better in that they played Washington, fine. I guess. Why are they why are they playing better last week than the other weeks? Because the team they played stinks. Um, the Dolphins are not getting better at all. The players, too, giving them credit. Like, I get it. It's coach speak. It's player speak. But Miami is not a challenge at all. It will be a flat-out embarrassment if this game is even close. It, if it's close, it'll feel the same way on the flip side that we all felt about the Bills-Patriots game, right? We, we got the result we expected against New England, but because they were hanging around and hanging around, they only lost by six, we all felt pretty good about it. In terms of statement games this season, like what's been their biggest statement of the year? Maybe it was hanging with the Patriots. It might have been over beating the Jets by one or barely sneaking by the Bengals at home or you know, beating the Giants by a couple of touchdowns. Or beating the Titans because their field goal kicker missed four field goals. Their most impressive game might be the New England game. As funny as that is to say because that's their loss. And we felt good about that. It was a moral victory. There could be a moral defeat this week. 100%. If this game is competitive at all. If the Bills let Miami hang around this Dolphins team. That's embarrassing. And I'm not predicting that it's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. But the same way we all set ourselves up to feel good after a Bills loss to New England, I think we should do the same thing if the Bills win, but it's close. We should not feel good about this team if that happens. They're 4-1. and one. It's so easy to not think about the, the downside of what's happened this year. They are really close to have losing at least another one or two games. They've gotten lucky. It's fine. you got to get lucky. Think about how close some of these games were for going the other way. The Jet game, down 16. That didn't have, they didn't have to come back in that game. Give them a lot of credit for doing it. But the Jets kicker misses an extra point. That's why you win it by one. You almost blew it to Cincinnati. You almost blew it to Cincinnati. Then, Tennessee's kicker misses four field goals. He makes three of them, you lose. And even the Giants hung around a little bit. I don't know. Some of these wins, the, the Bengals win, especially. You look back on it, and I think you say, well, they got a little lucky to get out of there with a win. But they did. So, all in all, what I'm trying to say is, this game, like they need another statement game. They in Miami, it'll be tough to do that. But I'd like to see something crazy, like like forty points. Is that even crazy? It shouldn't be. Forty to three, something like that. If this team is legitimately good, maybe they let themselves out the gas, but they they're able to completely dominate the Dolphins and get them out of that game quick, like over by the first quarter, quick. Because they don't really have a lot of other tests coming up. Philly's it. Their next four games, the only measuring stick they've got is Philly. 
Miami twice is not. Cleveland, I guess, is. But even Cleveland right now is just so strange with what's going on there. But anyways, the the Cynthia Freeland playoff. This is why this is why I thought it was crazy. Their schedule coming up. Cynthia Freeland from NFL.com putting their playoff odds at forty percent is nuts. It's outrageous. Are you kidding me? They are basically seven and one. I'm walking around thinking of the Bills as seven and one. If they don't get three wins against Miami and Washington, then I'm not feeling real good about this team. So I'm walking around thinking they're seven and one. And if you've just got to win three of your remaining six games, is that right? Three of six? More than that. Three of eight? Three of eight. Thank you. Then, man, like you should you should so easily be able to get to three and five. Three and five on those other games. That includes the Denver game. That includes the Jets at home. That includes Pittsburgh, with who knows is playing quarterback for them by that point. Mason Rudolph's supposed to come back this week. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to work myself up to, to get excited for this game. I, I'm. It's tough for me. It's going to be so easy. I think it should be so easy. This Dolphins team, some of the stats that are out there are crazy. Mahomes, more yards in the second half or the second quarter, than, uh, or more passing yards than, than Miami's got. The stat about how they're averaging, they're averaging, their losses are an average of 26 points per game. Like, they're averaging by, I can't, I can't spit this out, they are losing by an average of 26 points. That's nuts. Like, what are odds makers supposed to do with that? It's like, what are you supposed to set the line at? They're just guaranteed to, to not, not cover now they're going to Fitzpatrick. And, you know, microscopic odds to win for Miami go up. Just a little. Rosen, I feel bad for him. You know, at the end of the day, it's more about Rosen for me than it is for Fitzpatrick. I, I, I'm glad he's actually out of there. I think that leaving him in to just get hit all season, throw some bad passes, have his stats basically ruined in the first couple years. Not a good situation for him. I think he's a talented quarterback. He is not on the level of some of these other guys from the 2018 class. I think a lot of that is as his athletic uh, limitations. If there's not a good offensive line in front of him, he's not going to be able to make up for it. And that matters today as a young quarterback. But I think he's accurate. I think he's got a good arm. I think he sees the field well. He throws guys open. He has good anticipation. And I don't think you can see that. I don't think he even has the chance to show it with the team he's on right now. So I'm kind of glad for Rosen's sake that he's not going to be playing at least this week and hopefully going forward for the Dolphins. Because I think after this season, I'd like to see him go to another team, third team in three years, I know, but get an opportunity Maybe I've thought about Minnesota for him, but I know that Cousins kind of had a really good game last week, so you never know, and he's got a fully guaranteed contract. But maybe Minnesota for him, maybe Tampa with Arians. Hell, maybe Tennessee. I'd like to see Rosen get one more chance, and I think in the right system, he can still be a really good quarterback in the league. But I don't think you were ever going to see it in Miami.
803-0550 is the phone number. We will take some calls on last call after this. 803-0550 is the phone number, and then we'll get you to Sabres pregame in just about 20 minutes. Jody Biasi on the nightcap here on WGR. In general, I think if you look at somebody in a rookie season dealing with the pace that we've had here right off the hop and you know the pressure that we're putting on ourselves right now to perform and to maintain a certain level, he's one of many players today that I could speak about playing on both sides of the puck. I mean, everybody's working hard back and they're finding their work and we're much more physical tonight than in the last two games. And you know, Victor, of course, does his job. In that line in general, they had 5-1 scoring chances, 5-on-5 five five playing against a couple of the top players in the world and I, I think that's a real compliment to to what the Ico line is doing also defensively. Sabres head coach Ralph Kruger. He and the Sabres have the Anaheim Ducks tonight. We're about a, just over an hour away from puck drop in that pregame with Brian Cozio will start in just about uh, just about 10 minutes here roughly. It's the nightcap with Jody Biasi. Last call 8030550 is the phone number. If you've been hanging out on hold we'll get to you right here. Let's go to Greg. Greg you're on the nightcap. What's up? Hey, Joe. Yeah, um, I heard you talking earlier about, you know, what to do when Montour comes back with a defense and, you know, what are they going to do with all the defensemen that we have because it's going to be hard to scratch mm. one of those guys that we have up there. Um, and one thought I had, or it, it's, it's going to be, you know, out there. I don't know if I necessarily agree with it myself, but I was just wondering, while we're looking to maybe shop a guy like Ristolainen, if they can, you know, want to do that, um, or continue to shop him. Do you think it would be crazy if they looked to see if one of those defensemen could play on one of the forward lines, of, like one of the bottom two lines? That way they're not scratching one of them. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I appreciate the thought. I, I'll never I'll never get on someone for having a crazy thought like that, but no. We, we had people during the offseason when we talked about Ristolainen and asking, oh, can he play forward? Can he play forward? I'm like, hey, he'd probably be better at it than some of the guys they had, but no, he's never going to play forward. They're never going to do that, and I don't think that's the solution uh, when they get healthy. Brian Koziel is now in studio. He's getting ready for pregame. Brian, how are you tonight, man? I'm well. How are you? I am good. Always you... uh, different for these late-night starts. Yes. Sabres after dark, are you a big fan? I'm a night owl, so like this is right up my alley, but I know people with normal jobs probably don't... Uh, don't feel quite the same way that I might. Yeah, I do have to obviously get up a little earlier for my other job, but um, I'm kind of like in between. Okay. Like, I like the the uh, maybe like the 9 p.m. or the 8:30. Just starts. a little bit late, but a not, little not later, like 10. Where Tomorrow's like gonna it, be tough. Though. Like it feels special. Right. But the 10:30 one is like okay. Yeah, that's, that's am much. I going to make it to the end, sort of thing? <laughs> which obviously I'm going to, but uh, I feel like now if I'm at home, lying mm-hmm. on my couch or in my bed, then I think well, are you, I'm you, loving a ten o'clock game because it's like okay, I can sit there and essentially sure. Well, you you have no pressure to stay too. awake, also, right? Like you can you can just zone Correct. out whenever, and it's just like it's it's over. Right. The benefit of many uh, that I envy over the past of the last like you know decade of me doing this team is watching this team is that at some point they were able to shut their eyes or change the channel, and I was always a. Uh, I'm not saying that uh, I'm, uh, you know, doing manual labor right. in here, but I didn't get to leave the arena early ever. There was some days right, I'd watch right. these people leave early, or you know, tonight maybe uh, turn over to the other side of the pillow and uh, you sure. know call it a night if it's not a good night. But, uh, but however, uh, for the first time in a long time, going into a West Coast trip, 
I'm like ready to go for this game yeah. because of the fact that they've been playing so well. And every post game show I've been saying, okay, one more good one. Like I mean, you and I were talking about the other day after the Dallas game, like, are we ready to buy in yet? Is this team really good? And okay, it's another one, maybe one step closer to feeling that. And you know, tonight, uh, if they get this one, playing a bad Kings team tomorrow, like I'll start really thinking like, okay, what what's the possibilities are here? I, I almost feel like everybody's gotten a little bit smarter in a way. Like I don't mean that literally, but the, everyone kind of like their bar has been raised for this team being good. It's no longer like last year, everyone was over the moon about them being on a 10 game win streak. I mean, I was included in that. I thought they were going to the playoffs for sure. After that happened with the, 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 uh, the gap they had between them and the teams that were out of the playoffs. But now I feel like, everyone's maybe as focused, they've even not more focused on how they're playing versus even the result. Like if they come out tonight and like maybe fans would even prefer if they came out tonight and just dominated the ducks beginning to end, but they get a couple of unlucky bounces and John Gibson just stands on his head and they lose two to one. I feel like people are in a, spot now where they might feel better about that rather than if that goes the other way where the Ducks are dominating possession and uh, and Carter Hutton stands on his head and the Sabres win one nothing. Yeah, no, I agree. The, the way in which they won the 10 in a row last year with, what was it, 9 of the 10 wins came in either yeah. OT or shootout. Um, it I felt, think they were all one-goal games yeah, except for that one. They were yeah. almost all one-goal goals sense. except for one. So it it felt like, holy cow, we're on the side of luck right now watching this team. And obviously, I don't think anybody expected it to bottom out the way it did. I think come back to reality, yes, have one of the f- worst collapses in franchise history, if not the, the worst. From, right. I, I think it's maybe the worst collapse in franchise history, then, uh, at least statistically, in terms of where you were in the standings and where you ended up. Um, I don't know if I ever expected to get that far. Whereas now, even though it is a smaller sample size, it's not 10 games, it's six, but I don't see them getting hemmed in in their own end for two minutes at a time. I don't see them uh, where a defenseman's in their own zone and just making what you would consider to be a huge mental error with the puck. Yeah. I don't see Carter Hutton or Lemus Allmark having to make a great save and then him having to make another and another and another. Usually by that point, if... Uh, the Sabres are able to clear it out, re- regain possession, you know, do what they have to do so that the scoring chance ends for the opposition. And obviously on the other side of things offensively, uh, the possession has been incredible. The power play has been amazing. Yeah. And they are getting chances not only from, from Michael's line, but from all four lines, which to me is showing that maybe what Ralph Kruger is asking them to do can be, uh, isn't this going to be like a, a six-game blip? It, yeah, exactly. Because if Larson's line can do it consistently and not, as he said, not make a mistake, is he, you know, what do you say? It was the only line not to slip or not to right. kind of come back. Uh, if he, if his line can do it, well, then, you know, think about the lines that we have such a higher ceiling of a thought of for I, what they possibly yeah. could do. I remember, too, like last year, like you would, ex- everyone's going to expect, like, regression's going to come for that power play. They're, what, 46% right Number now? Number one in the NHL, yeah. Yeah, like that's going to regress. Tampa was amazing at it last year, had one of the highest rates in years, and they were at 28%. So that's going to come back down to earth, at least to some extent. Last year, when that top line was scoring at such a ridiculous clip, I kept thinking about, all right, they're not going to keep that up over 82 games. Where do they make up for it when they do have some regression? And I was never sold on really the secondary scoring kind of coming through for them in that area. They hadn't proven they could do it. This year, 
I'm just more confident in all of it, I feel like. I'm more confident in the blue line, the personnel. I'm more confident in the secondary scoring because now you have a second line that includes Johansson and Skinner. Olofsson allows that line to even exist by being able to play up with Eichel and Reinhardt. And now I'm sitting in a spot where it's like, okay, yeah, I'm expecting regression on that power play for sure. That's fair. Where do do they make up for it? I think now I can point to like two, three different things and where they actually could make up for it. Like they have more ways of winning. It feels like this year they're more well versed. Yeah, I mean Marcus Johansson every game does some does some things that said, well, this could be a really really good signing. And the fact that uh, you mentioned Skinner now playing with him, it's an opportunity that maybe there is just a sec- a second line that can actually do something. I know the the Saboka comments are easy to make. Yeah, but the other night he made. One of, the, I thought, his most skillful plays ever in a Sabre uniform. The most, it was the best yeah. <laughs> play I've ever seen him make, for sure, in the offensive end. Yeah, that kind of backhand saucer pass that was perfect. Yeah, right on the tape. Yeah, so maybe, you know, for now, uh, that's just what it has to be. I know that the, the predominant thought is still, well, when all the D are here and all the D are healthy, can a trade be made to essentially replace that Saboka spot with someone of what we would really consider to be Second line quality and scoring ability. Right. I'm sure that'll be there as as the D continues to get healthier. You just meant we just you know what a caller just mentioned Montour, as Montour comes back, maybe Bogosian comes back, and Ristolainen is still here. Uh, maybe we'll we'll really start to amp that talk up to say, hey, you know, like we are with the Bills. Like, should they be going forth? Should they be making moves? Right. If, if they keep playing well and keep getting healthier, okay, how can we make ourselves even better to maybe become a team that not only can be in the playoff race but to can secure a spot and maybe have a thought of maybe yeah. winning in the playoffs too. Brian's coming up with pregame in just a few minutes here. Speaking of moves, like did you, did you see Friedman on Taylor Taylor Hall a couple hours ago? Mm-mm. He's talking or he's he's mentioning how like I, I don't have the exact uh, wording he said, but basically he was saying that watch out for the Devils to move Taylor Hall if it keeps sliding. Like They look like one of the worst teams in hockey okay. right now. Yeah, I'll take it. Minus 16 goal <laughs> differential, I think, for them in six games. This was a thought. I actually wrote about this on our website over the summer. It's like almost the Skinner trade 2.0 for me. One year left on his contract, it's a huge risk because you probably trade more for him Probably. How do you not trade more for him than you traded for Jeff Skinner? Like you're not getting him for Cliff Poo. But it is risky in that you probably have to give up a hefty price and you don't know that he's gonna stay long term. But I, I it's probably unrealistic at this point. I just want them to be good enough to where if an idea like that becomes more realistic in the NHL later in the season, I want the Sabres to be good enough to where we can be talking about that. I agree. And look at Skinner's had such a success. Now, he was here for a full season. If any sort of haul trade happens, it wouldn't be for a full year. But, I mean, I I agree with you. Why not have that line of thinking? And if this team does, halfway through the season, start to look good and the Devils are sitting in last place in the East... Mm-hmm. You know why not? So I, I know I know you said you didn't see it. You know who Friedman said would be the one team he mentioned would be in on Taylor Hall if he's made available. Hmm. Edmonton, <laughs> which is just the funniest <laughs> thing of all time. Like the fact that Edmonton's the team that he mentioned, and they might be having the same conversation too. How good are we? Right. And yeah. at some point, do you believe in it enough that you go do something about it? And that, right. I, I think we're still having that conversation with the Bills too. How good are we really? And the NFL trade deadline upcoming here, like. Should we go do something about it if we truly believe we are pretty good? Right. Yeah. Brian, thanks, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you a few minutes in uh, pregame here. Yeah, I, uh, I'll i ask you before we go, because yeah, I'm going to open up pregame with it. Sabres announcing Linus Allmark is starting, coming off of Hutton getting okay. a shutout, which usually is faux pas for NHL coaches to do that. Right. But I, I will say I'm very surprised 
but I'm totally fine with it. I think both these goalies have been, I would say if I drew a line down the middle, I think almost equal. Allmark maybe even has been a tad more impressive, but he seems to be in the nets um, on nights where maybe they haven't been as perfect. Where yep. On the no, nights where we've been really impressed with the team, it seems as though Hutton's been in, so maybe it's just been a, a, an opportunity where we've seen Allmark right. have, have to be as better. No, right. Know? It's it's actually it's funny. They have been exactly equal save percentage-wide. They're both at 931 on the, on the season, exactly the same. But no, you're right. Like Allmark, it's a very small sample size. He's averaging over 40 shots against him per game. It's only two games. And Hutton, I think, is about 25 right now. So I've been really impressed with Allmark. I like it, too. I, I want to see if he can take over the starting job. Like, Lukanen is coming. Like, he his development track is going way faster than Olmark's was when he was coming through uh, yeah. the system. So, And the to thought me, was, and I thought initially it all lined up for, well, when Hutton's three-year deal is done, yeah. that'll be the perfect time to slide right. in. But you're right, it could come sooner than that. I, I compared it to, like, almost back in the day, Marty Baran and, and Miller. Like, when Marty was the starter... We all, it really, it's hard for me to remember because I was a kid at the po- at that point, but I remember Miller kind of coming on as a rookie, and it's like, all right, Baran, like, was young still at that point, and it's like, all right, here comes this other guy that it might be a higher-level prospect, and he's going to eventually take over that spot. So that's what been my thought. If Olmark doesn't get the starting job this season, I don't know that he, like, he could still be a good backup for a long time, be a good, like, number two guy, but I'm not sure he ever becomes a starter for you if he doesn't do it this season. Yeah, and whether this works or not tonight, just kind of finish this point, you wouldn't have seen this last year. Remember, no, definitely Phil not. Housley, many times on the record when talking about the goaltender, would always indicate the team result of like, well, you know, how come you come back with Linus? He's been playing unbelievable. He doesn't he? Don't you feel like right now he gives the team the best chance to win? He's like, well, yeah, he had a great game, but we lost. Right. You know, so we have to make the change because that's exactly. and Ralph Kruger says. I don't care. Hutton was perfect in the last game, but I want Linus to go tonight. Like I just, I love that style of thinking, and it might backfire, and we might be like, "Why didn't you keep Hutton?" And he was so hot, but at least he's not afraid to think outside the box a little. That's another, just you know, little minor thing to I think to respect about Kruger, even if it doesn't go well tonight. No, exactly. All right, Brian. Thanks. Thanks. There's Brian Koziel. He'll be on the way in a few minutes here for Sabers pregame. Sabers and Ducks. Just under an hour away right here on WGR. I'll be back with you tomorrow for actually an extended nightcap because Kings and Sabres will be at 10.30. So I'll be going with the nightcap until 9.30, carrying you up until pregame tomorrow. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for everybody calling in. You can catch the whole show on demand at WGR550.com. This has been the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.